Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And just before we get started here today, I want to tell you about some upcoming conversations this week on our other Blister podcasts. So let's start with tomorrow, June 15th, over on our Off the Couch podcast, we have a really important conversation with Michaela Gralia, who was a top fashion model, and he has gone on to become one of the best ultra runners in the world. Michaela's story is incredible, and I promise you, even if you are not a runner, you should not miss this conversation because we talk about some really, really big topics and questions in addition to, yeah, talking about the fashion industry to get started. So we really cover the gamut on that one. Then this Thursday, over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, we are doing a reviewer reports episode to talk about some of the bikes that we've been testing recently. And then this Friday, over on our Gear 30 podcast feed, we are continuing our new series on the current state of helmet technology and helmet R&D. And every skier, snowboarder, mountain biker, and road cyclist ought to check those conversations out. So this would be a real good time to make sure that you are subscribed to our Off the Couch and Bikes and Big Ideas and Gear 30 podcasts on your favorite podcast app so you'll get all of these episodes and conversations as soon as we publish them. But folks, that's not all, because right now we are going to be thinking about and talking about the future of snow sports. A few days ago, I spoke with John Emery about his vision for the future of skiing and how to grow the sport and make it more accessible to all sorts of people in North America by developing indoor snow sports destinations in North American metropolitan markets. Now, some questions. If John's vision takes place, could this have a similar effect that indoor climbing gyms have had on the popularity of climbing? Could such facilities help get us to a future that many of us want to see where skiing becomes more inclusive and more diverse by becoming more convenient, more affordable, and something you could do year-round? And finally... Could such facilities lead to a world where some people only ski indoors, perhaps in a similar way that many climbers now only climb indoors? I discuss all of these questions and more with John Emery, who is the CEO of Alpine X, and I have no doubt that our conversation will prompt you to think about the future of snow sports yourself. And so with that, let's get to it. Well, John, how are you today, and where are you today? Hey, John, Jonathan, thanks for having me on. The uh, I'm in, based in Virginia, uh, lived here most of my life, grew up a few miles from the uh, first Alpine X location. So doing fantastic and happy to talk to you. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I think I'm going to learn a lot here. I'm very, very intrigued with what you have going on here. So to get started... I'll just ask you the most basic question. What is Alpine X? 
The uh, Alpine X is a new brand of indoor year-round ski and snowboard resorts um, that we're going to build across the U.S., really across North America. So uh, 400,000 square foot indoor ski dome, 200-room hotel, lots and lots of food and beverage and other entertainment options. So really, we're trying to, we're we're building a winter sports facility to be year-round for everybody. Wow. With on-site lodging and other entertainment and the like? Yeah, so it's a full resort, family-focused. You know, our target market is individuals who love, you know, winter sports, groups, families, a nice, clean, healthy, safe, and fun environment with a full resort experience. Got it. It seems like not that long ago when I would think of sort of indoor ski areas my mind would immediately go to like Abu Dhabi and it was kind of this exotic, you know, very, very unique thing. Talk to me about how it's gone from, you know, and maybe I've just missed it. Maybe there are a lot more places like this than I'm aware of, but how did this go to me thinking about this kind of unique place in Abu Dhabi to you thinking I'm going to make a business out of creating a number of these locations across North America. It's really the development of a few concepts, family focus coming together. And uh, I've been aware of indoor skiing really since early 2000s when I was building up the Great Wolf Lodge brand of indoor water park resorts. And we kind of looked at it. Our view was that, in Europe, where they started, and there's many of them successful, the they have such a dedicated base of winter sports enthusiasts already that that was their target market. And in North America and in the U.S. in particular, we didn't have that depth of market. And as time went by and things like uh, Abu Dhabi opened up, we started seeing a lot of people enjoy these facilities beyond just people who are dedicated boarders and skiers. So we traveled and visited a lot of the resorts in Europe. And again, they're, they're slightly more focused on specifically to the skill sports, if you will. Our idea in the U.S. is to bring not just the skill sports year-round, but lots of other, both, both winter sports, but other activities together so that groups can go have a shared experience while they're not necessarily all doing the same thing. So if you think about it, a group of friends, a family, a couple people want to ski, a couple people want to board. Maybe somebody doesn't want to do a skill sport. They can tube anytime they want to. They can go to a spa. They can go to a restaurant with us. All kinds of entertainment things. We have outdoor um, gravity coasters. We'll have all kinds of things that people can do from no skill all the way up to competitive level boarding and skiing. So we're really trying to take that group dynamic, a group bonding experience and make it work for everybody. We've all been there where we all go to do something. Half the group wants to do it longer than the other half. And what do you do? So an environment where you put a resort together Everybody can be entertained in the way that they want to be entertained, have a shared experience, but meet all their personal needs while they're doing it. 
And say a bit more about what you were up to before you started on this venture with Alpine X. Believe it or not, I'm a CPA by background. <laughs> it's been a while since I've practiced as a CPA, but I started at Deloitte and wound up in the commercial hotel business, uh, running a lot of Hiltons and Marriott's and great hotels like that. The uh, love the business because of the people. Just the hotel business, the team members in hotel is as diverse and interesting as you get for people to work with. Just fantastic. Love guest experience. The uh, saw an opportunity to help create a brand of, of family resorts across the U.S. called Great Wolf Lodge. Great Wolf Resorts was the corporate name. Um, built that up, took it public in the early 2000s. The, um, and just love that experience. I mean, Great Wolf did a fantastic job at providing fun in a safe and a clean environment. And I think that those three things hold fun, hold true here too. We all know that skiing can be intimidating, maybe for people that haven't done it much before. And for parents in particular, when you're introducing your young kids in the experience, the safer it is, the cleaner it is, the more relaxing it is, not for the kids, but for the parents, right? So this is a chance to really create a really great environment where you're not worried about weather conditions, you're not worried about ice, you're not worried about wind, you're not worried about your kids' toes and fingers getting too cold, where you can have a, an experience that's consistent from time to time. And it can grow as the kids grow. So one of the big differences here for me is it's an opportunity to provide entertainment beyond having a family focus. So our target demographic, I call it, is kind of cheating from a marketing standpoint. Our demographic's everybody. I mean, when we're open every day of the year, we have plenty of opportunity to hit price points that work for anybody. When I'm renting equipment over 365 days, I can price it at a fraction of what it costs to rent equipment at an outdoor venue that has a two-month season, right? a three-month season. So we have a real opportunity here to bring everybody into the winter sports arena that has any interest at all and take away that economic roadblock that exists right now and also take away the time roadblock. So our goal is to build these in the population centers, not a couple hours away. But if you want to come out and ski for two hours on a Tuesday night after work or after school, we got you. We're 20 minutes from your house. You can have the experience without taking a weekend off and without dropping a whole lot of cash. Okay. So before we get too much further, let's talk about opening dates and opening locations. What are we looking at? So the opening dates are always tough because these things take a long time. Um, we've been working on this particular site for four years. The, um, the, we are about 18 months from breaking ground, and that puts you 18 to 24 months from opening. We are taking our time on the first one to make sure that we get the experience right. So again, we all know how intimidating your first trip of the season can be out to a traditional ski resort. We want to make sure that all the little factors that can 
make somebody relax before they come to the experience, we get right. We don't want lines. We don't want bottlenecks, right? Traffic. We want traffic to be smooth. We want parking to be easy. We want renting equipment to be easy. So we're taking probably an extra six months from a traditional development in design. Design's really, really important here. The, uh, we, we, we are fortunate we can look at the experience of some other ones that we like a lot. Even the one up in uh, the indoor ski facility in uh, New Jersey, you know, people like it. It's great. It was a great opening to us. Our concept's bigger and broader, the, um, but it's great that that came early. People kind of see a taste of what we're heading towards, and we like that. So the, 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 we'll take those experiences and we'll put that into the time frame. The second and third sites will come much more quickly. So we are already in process of working on the next couple of locations in the U.S., not quite ready to announce the specific locations yet. But the, uh, as we mentioned earlier in a press release, we're kind of looking in 20 markets across the U.S. eventually. Uh, they are significant projects. You know, they're 200 million plus. So the, uh, you take your time, you do them right. Our expectation is once we get going, we could open one every 12 to 18 months in the U.S. That would be our goal. So let's talk about the specific challenges. You know, water parks have existed. Larger kind of entertainment properties have existed. But when you add the snow sports element to this, Talk to us a little bit about that. So the challenges are why you don't see these across the U.S. already. The, the, and there's a couple significant challenges. The first of which, the main challenge is economics. The, the, if we could only rely on people interested in a high skill level of skiing and boarding, it's not a deep enough market to make the numbers work for this kind of facility. And I think in short, that's why you haven't seen them develop yet. Our idea is to do a couple things to, to make that work. The first of which is putting them closer to people so that we're not reliant just on significant weekend traffic and Friday and a little bit of Monday, like a seasonal resort to really drive that business. To do that, we looked at landfills. So not a new concept in Europe. Many of these are built on landfills kind of for the same reason. I'll use the first site as an example. Fairfax County, Virginia. One of the best markets in the country for anything, really. I mean, the, um, the, the, there's so many families, individuals, groups there that want an entertainment experience that right now have to drive you know, two to three to four hours to get to it, whether it's a traditional resort, the beach, the mountains, skiing. We're dropping this right in the population center by repurposing an, a landfill that closed about 25 years ago. If we had to buy a commercial site, not a landfill, in that kind of location, it would make the numbers non-economic for this kind of project. So the first is, getting a site close to people for the convenience factor. The second piece is, is taking a blend of kind of our backgrounds in traditional family resorts, 
we do a great job with business meetings and things like that too, and blending it with traditional target markets for winter sports. By combining those demographics, we think we'll create a much more robust year-round demand for the facility. And again, that goes towards making the numbers work. So we'll have a competitive level facility. The competitive level participants won't drive the economics. The, the bulk of the recreational people that will come spread out throughout the year. I mean, it'll be fun to come in August when it's really hot. It'll be fun to come in March when you're, you know, tuning it up to go to your outdoor ski experience. So we'll see the, the outdoor um, ski resorts really well. But those two things, the location and really having a, it's almost a social purpose of saying our demographics, we want everybody to be able to experience this. We have so much availability of time because we're there every day. We spread our fixed costs over 365 days. We can have countless school kids from underrepresented groups in traditional winter sports. They don't need, we'll have free programs for them to come in and experience it. The business model works because they're gonna bring friends back and family back. But we want everybody to feel like this was built for them it wasn't just built for the wealthy people that can afford to get away and spend a lot of money. That is the target market for this, is making it a place where everybody in that community, and that community ranges from lots and lots of immigrant families who are super hardworking and contribute everything they can to the economy there, to the, to the, to the, to the, wealth, to the wealthier people. We want to see this blend all that together in one facility that's designed um, really for everybody's benefit. I love that. And I think that is probably, well, not even the most intriguing, but definitely one of the most intriguing things about what you're looking to do here, in my opinion. I was curious when I asked you about what are the challenges here, you didn't say anything about snowmaking or replicating the feeling of sliding down on, you know, groomers or off-piece terrain inside. Uh, can you say a little bit about the materials or the technologies that are currently being used or perhaps anything you're seeing on the horizon along those lines? Yes, that's a, that's a great question. And the, you know, for the, the people that are not aware of the existing ones, one of the qu first questions we answer is, it is real snow. So man-made snow, but this is not an artificial surface. It is real snow made every day, year round, groomed multiple times a day. The, um, so you have what I would say are ideal conditions consistently. The, the, it's not champagne powder from Steamboat, right? It's not, and it, but it's also not the ice that you get in your typical mid-Atlantic <laughs> skiing experience, which I've done for you know 30 years over my adult life. The, uh, the, it's a nice packed powder experience that's grown. You don't have wind to deal with. You don't have adverse weather conditions. So you can, you can learn and, and participate comfortably um, the, the, um, in, in that kind of environment. A lot of the equipment is similar to what's going to be used outdoors. So we don't really need to make, I mean, 
some small differences. Our groomers, our snowmobiles for going up and down, all electric, right? So little things like that, but those exist. I mean, to be honest with you, before we got too deep in this, we went and skied everyone that we could get to. You know, we, we did a trip through Europe. The, uh, the, the, I would venture to say members of our team have skied at probably all the ones that anybody's heard of, you know, all the significant ones out there. Um, to see what that experience is before we were promoting it here. So we have pretty good depth of experience. Um, we have a partner, Snow World, who is who runs the most significant ones in Europe as an advisor. So they've been great advisors to us. The I, I think we have a shot at creating a really consistent, not, it's not just the quality of the snow, but the quality of the team to teach people these skills, to keep people safe, to keep people having fun because it's year round. Right. So for people who, and, and we all know, a lot, I've run a lot of seasonal resorts in my career, just amazing, amazing people. It's a fun environment to work in. And this is a chance for it to be a career for a lot of people with year round demand and year round business. So I think we can assemble a team that really just keeps the customers focused. And again, what I'll go back to is not just about the quality of the experience. It's feeling comfortable, feeling safe, feeling like it's clean while you're doing it. That's what kind of rounds out the experience for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, I live across the street from a ski area. I ski, I've never skied indoors. I ski a whole lot outside. And, you know, every single day on the mountain, you'll see somebody who, you know, maybe, you know, fell on a mogul run and they, clicked out of their ski and you'll see it literally every day we ski somebody trying to get that ski back on and they're not quite sure how to step into a binding or it's like oh you've got to push that heel piece down right before you can step in and those little things that those of us who've been skiing for quite a while we kind of take that for granted that's one of the things that i find really really appealing about what you might be offering here is let folks get just familiar at a fundamental level with this weird, relatively complex gear before they go buy expensive lift tickets and go to their, you know, their expensive trips wherever, out west or to Europe or wherever they might go. And I, I think I actually think that could be a really, really significant teaching instrument for just the entire ski industry i take it you agree with me on that i you know that that is right on the money the i'll tell, just tell you my own experience i mean i'm a moderate skier the um i grew up again alexandria virginia very close to the site that we're the first site we're talking about and we skied once a year once we could afford it as a young kid, I never skied at all. I came out of, you know, a blue collar family that that skiing was not on the agenda for vacation, but learned to like it as an adult has skied more. I do the West, the, uh, you know, Colorado thing every year or two with friends. Great difference compared to East coast. The, um, the, but we like it all. 
And it's important to think about what we think, where we where Alpinex fits in that. We are a feeder to all those outdoor experiences. We in no way replace those outdoor experiences. We may replace the early stage training in a lot of those outdoor experiences, which is what you were getting at. But even for me, the the when I go out, I usually ski a couple times a year in the Mid-Atlantic. And then we do the uh, the Colorado trip. The my first day of Colorado, my legs are tired. I haven't skied enough to get as much out of the experience as I would like to. If I because it takes me, I've got to take a weekend to go warm up on the East Coast, which is hard to do when you have a schedule and kids and all that kind of stuff. The kids and other sports, right? That's the other the East Coast challenges. All of all the kids, other sports are year round now too. So trying to squeeze a a two or three hour drive in for a ski trip is tougher to do. So where we view our place in that is in feeding the outdoor experiences, but really helping people get more out of those outdoor experiences to showing up there a little more confident in their ability. Simple things like riding a lift. It's intimidating to people that don't ski often. The first time you'd get back on the lift because you're not 100% stable in your skis. The, uh, so I think we create a much better experience as people take ours and go out, whether it's, I mean, there's a, a solid six or eight, you know, easily drivable mid-Atlantic ski experiences. I've been to all of them over the years and they're all great in, in their own way. They all offer something different and interesting. If people show up there more confident, they're going to go more often, but they're going to get a lot more out of it. The, uh, the, 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 I just had an example of somebody close to me <laughs> this winter went, you know, $300 for two people to go. The, um, the, the problem was when we get good conditions in the mid Atlantic, it's a very narrow window and it, it gets crowded really, really fast. And if on top of that, your skills are a little rusty, it's just not that positive experience for everybody. If you show up and your skills are better, you're not waiting for the easiest lift. So you get much more out of that mountain, even if you're going on a busy Saturday, than if you show up and you have to spend a couple hours warming up a little bit. So I think think that part of it we're excited about. Um, The interest level from the regional ski areas has been fantastic. I mean, they get it. They'd love to see people, more people participate and more people show up and get a great experience when they hit the outdoor slopes. You seem to me, given your background, like you're probably kind of a market research guy, but I still kind of wanted to ask, and you've also talked about some of the really big you know, financial numbers, what it takes to build a facility like this and the like. To what extent do you feel just super confident from the research you've done that there is a market and an appetite for this versus you just thinking kind of, if we build this, they will come, but you're doing it a bit more on faith than, I don't know what, you know, consultants would want to call clear proof of concept or something so 
That's a great question. Uh, we're doing it based on experience and not necessarily limited to experience with the traditional snow sports demographic. We did two market studies, which all businesses do before they launch a big project. Both of those were very positive. I don't put much faith in those, to be honest with you. The, the, where my faith in this is, is having over the years done everything I can to build experiences for families and groups to bond together. And it's not limited to winter sports. Winter sports is the core of our snow dome. It's not the core of our experience. The core of our experience is going to be people spending time together. Right. It's going to be families spending time together, you know, not all looking at their phones because they're doing something active. So the difference, I love Great Wolf Resorts, but the difference in what we're doing now is it's promoting health and wellness, too. So we have a lot of pride in developing an experience that creates an atmosphere where the fun that you're having is also really healthy and promoting exercise. My best time at the gym is before I go to Colorado and ski <laughs> because I know I've got to be at a certain level where my experience is going to be miserable, right? This facility being here will promote people looking at a fun way to stay healthier and be healthier because again, if you want to increase your skill levels in these kind of activities, fitness helps. So our market research, again, it's a little bit, it's almost easy in the sense that we know demographically that every socioeconomic group you can think of, what do they have in common? They value doing things together with their friends, with their families. They value trying to be healthier. And that's why we're saying this is not being built for just the market that traditionally enjoys snow sports. It's being built to bring everybody into this experience, of which a big part is recreational through competitive level skiing and boarding. So it's really, again, it's back to, I mean, we have a real social mission that we almost get emotional about when we talk about it is, it's just this vision of these people with all different, you know, economic backgrounds, being able to share the same experience in a way where it brings the community together. And I'm not a political person, but I am a person who just believes that, you know, the, 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 the more that people can see each other and do things together, the more they understand where they're all coming from. And so this is part of that. I mean, in my head, we have visions of group lessons where you've got, you know, tons and tons of kids who maybe don't go to the same schools, but are going to share this experience and get to know each other. And there's a positive that comes out of that. And the same thing for adults. I talk a lot about family and groups, but the great thing about stuff like this is it's great for individuals too. So it, the, 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 it will, you know, individuals can come and share an experience with other people that have like, you know, like likes, they like doing the same thing. And it's still a bonding experience. The, um, so 
there's a lot that goes into it. The um, again, we don't put our we're not doing this based on market studies. We're doing this based on having a high level of confidence that the bonding and the shared experiences are what are going to drive this market. And I can't put a number on it, but I do know that the response to it in every community that we've talked to has been really, really positive. Fairfax County, what happens is these experiences tend to be far away and they tend to be expensive. Not just snow sports. I'm not picking on our sport, <laughs> but Great Wolf Lodge is expensive. It's two hours away, right? I mean, this is a chance for people who don't have a lot of time, don't have reliable transportation to come have the same kind of experience that you or I get when we go to our nice outdoor resorts, you know, but they can have it close to home and they can have it really, really affordably. I know you know, you've got some building to do here. We're, we're not opening uh, tomorrow, <laughs> but are you able to even give us a bit of a ballpark in terms of pricing? Like if we think about the model of if I were to go for a day, what kind of ballpark on pricing would we be talking about here to, and, and does this work like, would I pay for a full day or half day or kind of by the hour? What are your thoughts on that? So the good thing is it's kind of all the above. I mean, we anticipate having a two-hour or probably a minimum pass. The um, certain people can certainly buy increments up to a full day. I mean, the hotel guests presumably will be buying full-day access. We're actually thinking about uh, one of our team had a great idea. So your two hours doesn't even necessarily need to be in a block. You can come out, ski for an hour. You come back out of the facility, it turns off. So if you want to take a break, you get more out of your experience that way, right? You don't have to use it all at once, especially for people who are a little newer. They might want a little rest. They're not burning their time while they're resting. So we've got a great way for people to get the most out of that. In terms of actual pricing, in our models, which aren't public, but we're assuming less than outdoor skiing during peak periods. So if you compare peak to peak, we're definitely less. We're assuming dramatically less on the non-peak nights because that's when I have availability is the exact same experience as it is on a Saturday night, but that's where we're targeting saying we want the entire community to be able to experience this. It'll it'll be dynamic pricing like lots of things are now. You know, the weekends will be priced the higher, the the, the weekdays would be lower, and that kind of allows it to be open to everybody but even the peak pricing i mean half two-thirds of an outdoor experience particularly on the rentals so if you think about rentals and i don't know exact numbers but my rental equipment is going to get rented five to ten more times a year <laughs> than an outdoor facility so i can charge a lot less for it because it's getting amortized over but many more uses same thing with the, the, the two hours versus a full day. We don't have start and stop times. It's a rolling clock. So your clock starts when you walk through the door and it, you, know, you come back out. What that allows us to do is to not have to have overcrowding because it's just a rolling experience. We can't have long lift lines with a two-hour ticket. It doesn't make sense. People would rather have a two-hour ticket and short lift lines than a four-hour ticket 
with long lift lines to get the same number of runs in, right? So that works really well for that. And that allows us to do the dynamic pricing, spread everybody out. It helps with traffic. It's not like a concert or an event venue where everybody's showing up at six, they're leaving at eight, the more coming, you know, there's just a rolling over the course of a day. I expect the facilities open 16 hours a day, right? I mean, you're going to have stuff in the morning. I mean, our training and there'll be lots of stuff in the morning and they'll probably be open through 11 o'clock at night. So you can get a lot of people through there without, without overcrowding it. The Great Wolf model was a great model. The Great Wolf model, we were very careful about not overcrowding. That kind of, it can get pricey when you do that. Here, because we're not selling weekend blocks, it doesn't need to get expensive to do that. So the analogy that I've been thinking a whole lot about recently with when I'm thinking about Alpine X is just the phenomenal rise of indoor climbing gyms. We've kind of seen this explosion over the last several years. And now what you're proposing is, you know, kind of much broader in scale. I don't know of any climbing gyms actually that have sort of an on-site lodging attached right to the climbing gym. But I am curious if you have been thinking about or watching kind of the rise of the indoor climbing gym, or if that seems different enough from what you're doing to have, you know, bothered too much with kind of that phenomenon. I'm a fan of the indoor climbing gyms. Um, I'm a fan of Top Golf. is another good example where the, 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 what they're, what, what you're seeing is an attraction to experiences where people are making it easier and safer to do something fun. So the climbing gym uh, is a great example. You know, it's significantly, I'm assuming, <laughs> safer and easier to do it, to, easier to get to, I mean. Not, but the, uh, the, I know they're, I mean, they're, 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 they're certainly very challenging, you know, levels of those things. Um, but the, uh, I think they're fantastic. And I think it's consistent with what you're seeing us, us do. Top, top golf's a great example of, I don't know what the percentage is, but a lot of people there, maybe most of them aren't there to improve their golf game. They're there to have fun, right. While doing something that is considered a, you know, it, that is a, a skill sport. The, the, there's a little bit of that. And what we're doing is it's, it's, it's set up for people to just come have fun. Ours is focused on healthy. So probably the good analogy to the rock climbing gym is it's a great healthy activity and it certainly encourages fitness outside of the activity. So that's one of the things that excites me about us. And I think the, the, the rock climbing is a good example. If you're going to be proficient at that, you're going to want to focus on fitness even while you're not doing that. And it's the same thing for skiing and boarding. The, the, we're going to promote people's thinking of, I want to be more fit so that I can enjoy that experience more. Yeah. So given what you said there, I mean, one of the things that we are definitely seeing with indoor climbing gyms is that more and more climbers don't climb outside. In fact, I think many climbers now 
don't climb outside at all. They're only climbing in indoor gyms. I don't hear anything you're really saying, you know, where it's like, yeah, we're envisioning a future where, you know, people only come and ski at Alpine X facilities. You've done a really good job, I think, of articulating like how and why that would be a pretty different model in that regard from climbing gyms where as there are just many spectacular indoor climbing facilities, some really tall. And as you already mentioned, with really creative and interesting climbs, you can go to those. And some people would disagree with this, but a lot of climbers are really getting their full fix. And I think I I don't quite hear you saying like, yeah, we're not sure why anyone would ever go outside to ski anymore. (laughs) That's not that's not quite your take so far. Not, not, not at all. I mean, from my personal experience, the I want to be better when I go outside, right? But, but nothing replaces the outdoor experience to me. The um, and and I'm sure there will be people that just enjoy what we do. They were probably not people that were looking for a significant outdoor experience anyway. So I think there'll be a mix of both, but. No, I mean, I don't know as much about the climbing, but uh, for us, the, um, the, the being able to go out and get more out of your outdoor experience. I mean, we're going to, we're, our assumption is we'll be heavily promoting the, at least the regional outdoor facilities from our place, because the more people enjoy that, they're going to come back with us and do their, you know, their maintenance and their warm ups and bring their friends and family. Yeah. And I I completely can see that taking hold. And I think, again, I I think, you know, people who don't get to go on these ski trips very often, uh, you know, a few days, a handful of days a year, having facilities where they can go, where they can get used to putting those boots back on, clicking into bindings, right? Getting on or off of a chairlift, et cetera. That's just going to make their experience better when they do when they do go outdoors. So I kind of do see it as a win-win all around. I think so. I mean, I, that's certainly the way we look at it. Well, John, I appreciate the time. This is uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation and and getting your perspective on all this. It sounds like you still have quite a bit of work in front of you. We do. We do have to remind ourselves, and we still need to build it. <laughs> so, the um, but I I appreciate the feedback from the winter sports community, and we are looking for it. So, people that want to reach me, I'm really easy to reach through our website, LinkedIn, Twitter. I mean, it's easy to find me. We're looking for feedback. We're still designing things, uh, but most importantly, what I really appreciate is everybody looking at this as a chance to broaden the base of people enjoying our kind of sports. I mean, it just, people get that. The, um, the, we're, 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 we're very actively building our underserved community to incorporate and, and be part of the experience. And, and the feedback from that, from the snow sports industry has been fantastic. Just fantastic. It's great. Yeah. I mean, it's something we talk about all the time. We talk about it pretty regularly on this podcast. And in that sense, I do think you are coming in to presenting at least one potential solution to how do we make this 
a more inclusive sport in that broadest sense of the word inclusive. We'll be rooting for you, and uh, we sure hope it is effective in bringing in more people into this activity that a whole lot of us are pretty passionate about. Uh, John, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. It was fun. Yeah, likewise. Hey, get back to work. You got some building to do. But, you know, look forward to uh, keeping track of your progress and, and here's hoping things go well. And we have an opening a couple years out from now. Three years out from now. Three yeah. years out Three. from now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, best of luck with all of it, John. And uh, yeah, uh, hope to talk to you again down the line. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to John for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again tomorrow over on our Off the Couch podcast feed. And again, you don't want to miss that episode. And so we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Take care.